Welcome again to the Practical Enneagram. This is part two of a two-part conversation I had with Ginger Lapid Boda, although each episode stands on its own pretty well. In this conversation, Ginger shares some type-specific patterns she's seen with those who teach the Enneagram and also some advice for those who are called to this work. Have you observed over the years any sort of patterns in the types in how they teach the Enneagram or or the things that they do? Not wrong, but the things that the mistakes that they might make in teaching the Enneagram. I've seen a lot of people teach when I have my clients. I sometimes will bring other people on. Also in my programs, especially the ones that are trained, the trainers based on bringing out the best. Well, what type of leader are you with some And they do project teams and I see people present. These are, I would call them not gross, but they're generalizations that don't apply to everybody. And it's just going to be more, I'd call it the, I wouldn't call it the red flag because that has a different meaning to you, but (laughs) something to watch for. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I think watch fours that I've seen in ones, I'll start with ones and see Mm -hmm. if I can go around. Sometimes over preparing Mm -hmm. and scripting themselves out so as not to make a mistake. And when you do that, you're tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, you haven't had the experience. It's harder to be in the moment. Makes sense. So the question, but what can you do so that you pre- feel prepared enough? But in when you're actually teaching, you're not following note cards or your script. You know it well enough. How can you do that? Okay, and choose um, a kind of a reliance on facilitating when they need to be um, designing something for other people to do mm-hmm. very precisely yeah. or an avoidance of mini lectures or lectures at all because they think their strength is in facilitating. Anytime anybody is over-relying on a certain skill set they have and trying to make everything that, that's, you know, you're not serving. For type threes, you know, it's like getting past the performance. It's like being okay with being you and Mm -hmm. not feeling like you have to be in a performance because when they are, there's less relaxation, more Mm -hmm. tension in them. And the heartfulness that people need or want to feel from you and the warmth won't be as palpable. And for fours, um, so I would call it discrediting discrediting yourself before you even have begun. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. (laughs) It's really hard not to do that. These are hard. We could create metaphors for ourselves as teachers around this stuff. Yeah. So fours under undervalue themselves before they've started. Yeah. They under, and then they undermine themselves under unintentionally the purpose mm-hmm. isn't to undermine self no it happens yeah yeah self-undercutting like really <laughs> <laughs> all right and fives you know i think not being relaxed enough being a little mm-hmm. too stoical mm-hmm. uh being more cerebral and less embodied because their head is their default mode right that's yeah. the comfort zone so it's like sixes so, you know, it's hard with the sixes for me to say, because the three versions of subtypes of six are very different from each other. Mm-hmm. But so what can I say that would apply to the self-preserving, the most self-doubting, the social, the most dutiful, and the one-to-one, the most kind of um, going against is they're all still have doubt, right? The mind is constantly going and planning and thinking about what could preventing something going wrong. The best thing they can do is to quiet the mind before they go in and do something that feels enjoyable to them, you know, pet your cat, have a nice meal, sort of get yourself in your whole self so that the mind isn't in sevens. I think it's the watch out is the focus and not, it's like a sense that you have to keep a training upbeat all the time. Right. Yeah. 
And if you feel like it's not upbeat, because you'll be particularly sensitive to that. And some of the aspects of the Enneagram are not upbeat. Mm-hmm. Learn to be okay with that, which is uncomfortable for people because they need, they won't grow from just upbeat. They might be entertained. They need to like sit with themselves because I've seen seven sometimes, and it's not just Enneagram teaching, but, oh, the group needs more energy. I've got to infuse it. Now let them, they're mm-hmm. thinking now, they're reflecting. Mm-hmm. Now type eights, this may come, uh, I've taught with a lot of different aids. Mm-hmm. So there is a way in which they expect the group to come to them. That's interesting. What does that mean, Ginger, that the group comes? Yeah. So, so I, when I, and I've seen this so many times, even with really good Enneagram teachers and other, and it was always a little challenging because as a two, I tune the, into the group and I sort of come to them. I tune into where I think they are. I, you know, ask questions. And then with eights, they kind of like focus on me, not that they're narcissistic, but come into my energy field. That's how I feel comfortable, sort of in control of this room. And they would have a hard time with me sometimes because they'd say, well, the room's now in the group's hands and I need it in my hands. Mm -hmm. So when you hand off to me, I've got to do a whole new thing. And that was also true when they would finish. It's like I would go into focusing on the group, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's always a balance there, which I've Mm -hmm. learned from eights. But for eights, it's like, don't expect the group to come to you. You need to meet them halfway. Or sometimes you come and be with the group. Sometimes, you know, nines, it's about being able to emphasize what's important, more important than what's not. Hmm. You know, that there's a way that nine, sometimes when they're training, they don't punctuate. This is what you need to remember, right? So if everything is tone, the tone is even as pleasant and lovely as it is, but people may not know what it's important because nothing's being underlined or right. That's no punctuation. We all get better with experience unless we don't reflect on our experience. And then we don't get better. Uh, Another question for you is what, yeah, what do you do around teaching from your free centers or do you have a personal practice around that? Well, I think it's very, my belief is it's really important to teach to all three centers to teach to all three centers. Yeah. Of, of people, sense. Right? yeah. And metaphors do that. Usually a good metaphor evokes emotion yeah. and you can feel it in your body. So I think it's really important to do that. Also in designing exercises or activities. And I was, this is my graduate program too. It way precedes mm. anything with the Instagram. It was called confluent education mm. and it was teaching to the head, the heart and the body. You're kidding. That's the like whole thing. So, I mean, I've been at this for a long time, but it's like they called it the cognitive, the emotional and the experiential, but it was really the head, the heart and body. Like that's how I design. That's how I teach. So it's really important, right? I put Mm. attention to that and I teach people in my train the trainer programs to design to that. Okay. For me, the heart has been not so hard, right? That's my home base. Yeah. The head is fine. Um, but I had to, I work on that. It's not, it's like more accessing that. If I spend a lot of time in my head, I get a little bit more tired. And mm. little, so I have to like, and I, what I, I do certain things to give myself my head a break. Cause it's not mm. my primary thing. I mean, I do stupid thing. I do a really stupid thing. There's a, on my iPhone, I have the New York times and they have these little puzzles where you try to find something to match and get it lowest score possible. I, I don't know. I best, it sounds fun. To it. It's totally fun, but I do that to relax. It's visual and kinesthetic. Yeah. yeah. Right. You do that when things, when you've been teaching a lot of heady stuff or a lot stuff, of, or I've been preparing stuff that's very heady right. or I like to cook. So I'll look up recipes mm, like, yeah. 
because that's very kinesthetic. I don't do it anymore much. I do it a little bit, but I've spent many years meditating mm-hmm. and being, but meditation, what I was, did wasn't just in the body and still body. It was like whole. Right. So like, I'm one of these people that can go into an MRI or a cat skin and stay perfectly still for an hour. I mean, I did enough and had a great meditation teacher. Mm-hmm. So if you said to me, like, go into your, like, I, I can, I can invo- invoke it in myself and get there in a second, which I am so grateful for. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's all the years you've spent in training sort of a stillness posture in your meditation. Yeah. Stillness, but it's, it's not vacating stillness. No. It's like accessing stillness. Mm-mm-mm. And I can do that on demand. I've always wondered, you know, when you've racked up hours in practice and something, does there come a point where it's like, I don't need to do this anymore. I can just sort of touch the essence of this when I need to. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think that would I benefit for doing what I just said more and longer daily? Absolutely. Right. Okay. Do I feel uh, compelled or, mm. you know, I'm so busy working now and, mm. um, and cooking. It's a lot. So, and then I need to sleep. <laughs> we just forget, don't we? I know that I do. I just go through phases where I just forget to do the things that I need to do. Okay. I sort of, for me, I have to want to. And what makes us want to, isn't it some form of like, well, when I'm suffering more, I want to more. And then when yeah, the suffering is not there. I understand. <laughs> staying connected with the suffering is probably the way to go. No, it's learning <laughs> how to do that even when you're not suffering as right. a way to move. And for me too, right? It's mm-hmm. yeah. for all of us. So what would one piece of advice would you offer those who are called to share the Enneagram with others? I'm just going to tell you what comes to me. Yeah. So you use the word call, called to, to the Instagram. And I would say, who's calling you? That's a metaphor. Is it a phone that. call? Is it your own desire of ego that you haven't been mm. called to? So your See advice would saying? be to question the call. Yeah. Who is it from? And really, what's the source? Because, um, you know, there are people who refer to themselves as an Enneagram expert. And I would suggest that is probably not a word of that I, I would consider the, right, the best word to use if it's really a calling, because mm-hmm. an expert is somebody who knows everything more than anybody else, right? There may be other experts in the site. I don't find that uh, like we're all learning and growing. And I, for me, the people who um, are learning and growing and offering the most have also been, some of them have been studying it for 40, 50, 60 years and are always learning growing. And they don't refer to themselves as Instagram experts. Yeah, it's true. You barely you know? ever see that. You yeah. don't. And there's a reason why, you know, there's no uh, licensing saying you can't use the word expert, but no. really it's like expert. How can yeah. you want then, uh, or the use of the word guru more recently, Instagram guru, hmm. you know, one time somebody referred to me as Instagram guru, but mm-hmm. it was in a Facebook thing and I decided not to, you know, he sees me that way. He put it to my yeah. thing, you know, I just like didn't go there and I respect him and like him. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. so they were grew. Now, then there's the people who say, I walk my talk. That's another indicator. Okay. Probably not. People who are really, who are really smart, don't, don't go around telling you how smart they are. Mm, that's true. Yeah. People who are doing a lot of inner work and stuff don't go around telling how much inner work they do and how much they walk their talk. Mm-hmm. As soon as I, that should be a clue of like, let me look inside. Another is people who refer, use the words healthy and unhealthy. How many people, unless they're really self-deprecating, refer to themselves as an unhealthy version of their number? Mm-hmm. It sets up a lot of judgment. Like I'm yeah, healthy, you're not. 
which really means there's something you're doing I don't like. And I don't know if I did this in the program you went in, but how did the Enneagram find you? And get rid of the word calling, because calling is a metaphor for, I mean, I believe in God, I do. So it's not that, but it's like, who called you? Yeah. Yeah. Who called you? Love it. As opposed to how did the Enneagram find you? And is the Enneagram working through you? Are you using the Enneagram for your own financial ego, something Mm. needs? I think Mm. it's a really important question respect to people who want to teach the Enneagram. I love, I love the system as well. Um, and to question it is necessary to question the desire to, uh, put oneself out there in a teaching position is necessary. You can learn it at a certain level, Mm. depending on where you're coming from and Mm. your background, your where and all that. And to you, to understand it in a way that serves the system, it's not a quick thing necessarily. I don't even think Claudio ever referred to himself as a master Enneagram teacher. I'm going to say thank you very much. It's been such a gift to have this time with Fun, you. Rez. I hope that you enjoyed. My next guest is Leslie Hirschberger, another brilliant Enneagram teacher. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave me a review and a rating on the service that you listen to.